He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? She's a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah! Crank up the radio! Very interesting! She's Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Old Glory Annual Insurance. Have you had a rough year? Are you ready to say goodbye forever to 2016? Do you want to ensure that you never have another 2016 in your life again? Well, now there's a company that offers coverage against the unfortunate event of 2016 with Old Glory Insurance. Starting January 1st, Old Glory will offer you coverage in case 2016 ever happens again for only $4 a month. Now you can achieve peace of mind in a world full of crime, robots, and bad years. Old Glory will cover you with no health checkup or age consideration. You need to feel safe, and it's harder and harder to do nowadays because the year 2016 can strike at any time. And coverage for 2017 will be available for purchase just 12 months from now. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome <laughs> to the year-end edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, is it safe to say we're ready to put this year behind us? I know that I am ready, and welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a very wonderful holiday, a Merry Christmas, and a Happy Hanukkah to all of our listeners. Um, yeah, I'm ready for 2016 to be over. I've been saying this for a while. Um, you know, listeners of the show know that I personally believe that 2016 is trolling me personally. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm ready for it to be over. And of course, over the holidays, I was struck dumb by the loss of one of my childhood favorites. And that was George Michael. Yeah, people had already said, oh, what a year for celebrity deaths. It feels like so many legends have passed on. Some of them, you know, uh, up in years like Muhammad Ali and people you'd known had health troubles. Then some seemingly out of the blue like uh, like David Bowie. And Prince. Prince. Um, But then, you know, like, like George Michael, if he had passed away in like the mid to late 90s, when everybody knew he was having drug problems, he was in and out of rehab, he had his incident in the bathroom and all that. People, oh, okay, well, you know, it's when, when celebrities get better and, and they seem to be okay and they seem to, you know, kick their habits, uh, very much like Carrie Fisher, another, you know, um, double gut punch that 2016 uh, offered us. It just kind of feels more jarring and um, unnecessarily sad. You know, and you it ought to, to be a, a wake-up you know, call for people who spend their lives going in and out of crazy behavior and drugs and all that because those deaths are both, I think, related to bad behavior at various times earlier in life and the damage that that sort of thing does to your heart and your circulatory system. It can't be denied. I don't think both of them died very, very young and both of them had a powerful history of drug and alcohol abuse, that sort of thing. And and both were very open about it. It wasn't yeah. like it was a secret. So, yeah, absolutely, Dave. Um, and I, I would also suggest that, you know, there was kind of a double whammy issued with us with Carrie Fisher because she had the heart attack. Um, on her flight back and then you know the statement came out that she had been stabilized and at that point i think our listeners should know i went to the land of no wi-fi or internet connection of any kind i had limited access to the outside world um no access to my phone at all no signal uh the wilds of west central pennsylvania (laughs) and 
So I did not know about George Michael until Monday, which was a full day after he actually was found. And I was sitting at my aunt's house and it came across the ticker on the bottom of, of course, Fox News. That's a story for another day. Um, There was a lot of Fox News watching in my family, apparently. And in the ticker was the George Michael news that he had passed away of a heart attack. And we were mid-conversation and I... I literally gasped. Um, I know people say literally all the time, but I actually gasped. Um, There was an audible, "Ah!" and I broke conversation for a moment and tried to gather my thoughts because I couldn't believe it. And the thing was, we had just had the scare with Carrie Fisher. And then yesterday when the, you know, obviously this, we, everybody knows we record on Wednesday, but when it was announced that Carrie Fisher had passed away, my first reaction was, I thought it was a mistake. Um, when I saw the announcement from people, it wasn't until I read the, the statement from the family because it was just so shocking because we had been told, you know, she had been stabilized. So then to see that there had been no real announcement in the middle, it felt like we got punched again. Yeah, well, you, you heard about the stabilization. You thought everything was going to be, you know, uh, eventually okay or something like that. Now, we had talked a little bit about George Michael and the, argu- the arguably awful and insipid um, Last Christmas song. Uh, but I, I think, uh, I, you know, Mickey, you, you speak as if, as if you'd spent a good portion of puberty uh, gushing and dreaming about George Michael. So do you want to talk a little bit about, like, why? I love uh, him. Is it just, a, is it just a, a childhood idol, teenage idol, a, you know? Uh, a little of both, um, but I, I was a fan of Wham, as I've said here on the show before. I was, I was a fan of Wham. I, I liked him when he went solo. It was like the best thing that ever happened. Um, my parents bought me the, um, the, the album. It was a cassette uh, that had Faith on it, and... I I remember the first time they heard I Want Your Sex. <laughs> and um and there are several parts of that song people may not realize that. Um but I, my parents were stunned that an album that had the song Faith on it um which of course they didn't really know the words to either. <laughs> they then were in the car playing and I Want Your Sex came on and it was I think the first time that my parents and I had a uh, detente, if you will, over my music choices, <laughs> and it was the first of many, many times. So I yeah. still think "Careless Whisper" is one of the best all-time pop songs there ever it's will beautiful. be. It's a symphony. It's gorgeous. It's he, absolutely. He had beautiful. a real range to him that yes. I think sometimes got overshadowed by his uh, uh, more controversial moments. But I, I'm going to observe. Mickey. So I, this is another, a bit like David Bowie, one of those deaths where I didn't think of myself as a fan. <clears throat> until he's gone and you suddenly realize how much his music has been kind of playing in the background of your life. Um, George Michael, you're right. I-, I Want Your Sex and a bunch of his videos and songs were seen as really sexually explicit and really lurid and mm-hmm. the sort of things you c- your parents would not want you to be listening to and were kind of scandalous. Um, and I don't know about you, Mickey. I kind of look at it today and like when he's showcasing the supermodels, whether it's freedom or whether it's – I think um, – uh, uh, too funky probably counts as one of the most over the top. Whoa! I can't believe they're showing this on MTV. <laughs> Sexual music videos of all time, but there's something like I, I observed that it's like it's all grown ups, right? Like, this, like mm-hmm. as much as we look at that as being scandalous of the late '80s, early '90s, um, it wasn't Britney Spears and this sexualization of adolescence or anything like Catholic that. Catholic George uniform. Michael was a grown man who we all thought liked grown women. 
Yes. Who certainly had, you know, well, and that was, that was another thing, you know, George, George Michael taught me that I could be attracted to gay men. <laughs> I, I have said this because when I found out he was gay, it changed nothing. I had just as much chance, I think, of being with him after I found out he was gay as I did before. But it really didn't matter. Like, it did not change my opinion of him in one way or the other. He was still a sex symbol to me. <laughs> the awkward silence. What kind of sex? <laughs> what, what is Look, he symbolizing? <laughs> you asked. I'm telling you. The bottom line is, to me, George Michael was a sex symbol growing up. And even after he announced he was gay, I didn't care. So, you're right. He, he attracts both this you know, uh, very lurid image and then this kind of much more controversial getting arrested in the public bathroom. But then you're reading these profiles after he died. Apparently, he was like remarkably, you know, making all kinds of charitable donations. He's so actively generous with guy. his time and his yeah. money, and just a really tender-hearted person, I believe. Um, which kind of, you know, uh, kind of crosses with that. I, I actually saw a couple of days ago this um, uh, statement he made after he had this near-fatal bout of pneumonia, thanking all the people who saved his life and the medical staff. It was kind of a a certain humility to came, that came to him. And let's just say that humble was probably not the word you would have associated with him in the peak of his career in the late 80s. Now, um, and you've got that big difference that we're starting to develop and understand between the person and the persona. Mm. And someone who really encapsulated all of that, obviously, was Carrie Fisher, who passed away. And that, you know, many people are mourning the loss of Princess Leia, as much as they are the actress Carrie Fisher. And I think that's okay because she kind of accepted that mm -hmm. a long time ago and she embraced it, which is fantastic. For, for someone who, who has, you know, written and discussed with great, <clears throat> a great length and great detail, the absurdity of life once you've turned into one of these pop icons <laughs> and, uh, uh, in, you know, I'm not even going to say that she was a, a sex symbol to the pre-adolescent boys of the early 80s. I'm just going to say that <clears throat> Princess Leia was what a woman was supposed to be, right? And was, in a gold bikini, if at all well that, possible. <laughs> well, that, that comes along a little bit later. All of a sudden, you notice other aspects to her. But I, I, was I remember going to college and finding women who had pictures of Princess Leia on the wall. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was not that they were nerdy. It was like, no, no, she's, she's smart, she's tough, but she's very feminine. She's not... Um, you know, that, that she, she sets a high standard for herself and expects everybody else to live up to it. And she gets Han Solo to do it, right? I mean, she, mm -hmm. she's the woman who's so amazing, she gets bad men want to be good. And I think that's a, uh, uh, the kind of image and icon um, that I think is kind of hard to emulate. And so I think, and obviously. Well, absolutely. And even when you have someone with as big of a personality as Carrie Fisher, the person, yeah. has. Um, it, it's impossible to overcome the image of Princess Leia. And, and like I said, I think it's great that she embraced it. I think what's fabulous about her is that, you know, she is known for her writing. Obviously, she, she wrote Postcards from the Edge. Um, and uh, she, she just, she's always kind of embraced her own craziness. And she truly is mentally ill. She was mentally ill. She had bipolar. She was very open about it. But she talked about it in a way that made it accessible for others. And I think that she, you know, people embraced her for embracing her own baggage, if you Yeah. Will. I still think her all-time best role, admitting mental illness in a way, was as Jake Blues' crazy girlfriend <laughs> in the Blues Brothers. 
<laughs> uh, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna one up you there, okay. Dave. I actually I, we watched uh, when Harry met Sally. Oh yeah, she was wonderful. One of her all time favorite movies. Right there. <laughs> and, and you want to talk about a supporting character who just steals every scene she's yes. in and gets all the good lines. And, Whips you know. out the Rolodex to set up Sally <laughs> at the table at the restaurant. <laughs> Absolutely, definitely one of her you know roles that came up because yesterday and over the week you're seeing people grab at things. You know, well she did this, she did this as well. I don't feel like it's necessary to take away from the fact that she's princess leia in order to celebrate her life and um i think that she had the kind of sense of humor that you know obviously it's it's being quoted all over the internet that she she died in the moonlight strangled by her own bra um was a quote that she had discussed and you know i think that's something that we need to remember when we remember carrie fisher is that she would wanted us to laugh and to remember princess leia in the way that we had cherished and adored her for the last 30 years coming up in the next segment we've had a lot of new things happening um in the world of entertainment including television shows that have really stolen our heart this year and a year of some really you know not always so great news um we have had some great moments and uh, we're going to talk about about those throughout the show. I'm Mickey White, he's Jim Garrity, and we'll be right back. When that sun breaks out, lift up your head and shout, it's gonna be a great day. Kellogg's waits for you, that spirit comes shining through, promising you a great day. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Cut. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. I am Mickey White along with Jim Garrity and Here we are at the end of the year, coming to a wrap, so to speak, and there are lists all over the internet, all over your television, all over um, every radio station, talking about the top things of the year. So, of course, we have to do it, too, because we have our own opinions on these things, and these people are often wrong. Um, The people who make up these lists are often quite wrong about their selections and choices, and that's why Jim and I are here to correct them. Mm. Um, so that we can have things, you know, correct out in the universe. Isn't that correct, Jim? It is. Um, I, you and I, before the show, talk about, so what are we going to remember from 2016 on tele, in the world of television? And I can come up with like one big theme and then lots of little observations. One being, I, we've had on-demand television and, and the streaming services like Netflix and Amazon and all those things for a while, but I feel like 2016 was the year it really came into its own and went toe-to-toe with premium cable and the broadcast networks and things like that. And I could point to probably the two biggest, biggest examples of this were Stranger Things, the Spielbergian um, uh, kind of homage and style of an E.T.-style story. Um, that was I a, love was, Stranger Things. There you go. That was, that was, was, is it safe to say that was your favorite offering of 2016 or, um, or top two or three? Uh, yeah, it's definitely in my top five, without a doubt. Um, and, and when I think of television in 2016, that is what I think of. So I think that's a good indication. Um, it's a Netflix show, and I watched it over like a weekend, um, but I loved it. And one of the other things, you know, is it was the end of a lot of eras of television for us. Um, you know, we we were big Castle fans in this house, mm-hmm. um, big Bones fans in this house, and there's no real word on what's happening with that show. Like there just were a lot of the formulaic. Um, kind of crime dramas mm-hmm. um, and the duos that came to an end and a lot of changes within the shows and programming um, that I normally watch. So I find myself actually looking for new shows this year. I was going to say, this was, might have been seen as, we might look back at this as the year of the procedurals 
uh, kind of died out. That basically we've seen enough police procedurals, we've seen enough medical dramas, we've seen enough legal dramas. It's really tough to do something. We've done the uh, wacky genius detective and straight-laced partner uh, done to death, and it kind of there's 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 not a lot of fertile territory to, to plow introduce there. the true crime genre. Because that has taken on a life of its own in 2016. And when we were thinking about themes and you and I were talking about it in pre-show, that was one of the things that popped into my mind is that starting off with Making of a Murderer, Mm. um, which, you know, debuted, I think, in February of 2016. We also ended up with the O.J. Simpson trial that was, you know, the the People versus O.J. Simpson was another television event of the year, which is why I could not give Stranger Things necessarily top billing. Um, because I believe that The People versus O.J. Simpson was truly one of the best um, television events of the year. Yeah. And that you had people watching <laughs> that, that. That was appointment television for the first time for a lot of people who DVR a lot of things. People there have been wanted times to we've see seen, that. We, we've seen ne- two networks take on the same idea or, or two different versions. Two movies come out. I think what really stands out about The People versus O.J. Simpson is you have FX doing this docudrama of actors reenacting uh, the trial and, and you know, everything with that and doing an exceptional job at that. And at the same time, about a couple months later, uh, ESPN did their five-part documentary, O.J. Made in America, which yes. I looked at and I was like, ah, oh, here comes this cheap knockoff. Ah, oh, you know, aren't we kind of done with O.J.? And instead it was brilliant. And, and one of the things that made it so brilliant was how much it looked a little bit just beyond O.J. to what was going on in America throughout his life. So I think that was a um, – I feel like the, the documentary um, uh, form kind of got reinvigorated this year. There's kind of you – know, the, I, I, the, there was greater potential. Now we'll probably see a bunch of you know, knockoffs come the next oh, year. Oh, absolutely. We're, going, we're bound to see knockoffs. But another one that would, I would put into that category is the sparking and reinterest in all the documentaries and docudramas about John Benet Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're still releasing new movies about that this year. And, and one of the more interesting things coming up is that there's going to be a show about O.J. Simpson on one of my favorite channels, the Discovery ID channel. Uh, in January, that indicates that they they believe that they're going to put forth a theory that OJ was not the killer. And an update in the John Vinay case is that they are retesting DNA that was found on the body. So you know it's it's fascinating because we've made so many advances in forensic science that now we can you know kind of go through some of these cold cases that we didn't have the ability to do at the time and test them in ways that we didn't have then and actually solve the cases. Wouldn't that be amazing? I was going to say, we have a lot of um, nostalgia, if done right, can sell quite well. But this is almost like nostalgia with a purpose, right? This is a sense of, you know what, there's, there's an injustice that a lot of people forgot about here. Uh, but this, you know, the producers of each particular show has decided, well, we're not, gonna, we're not, we're not done with this. We, we feel like this is something that shouldn't be forgotten. Um, so I think that is, that is completely worth saluting. Um, I was going to make, you know, a, a, the other observation of, of the uh, streaming and non-traditional producers of television. Uh, my other big nomination was going to be um, The Man in the High Castle, the Amazon mm-hmm. series depicting an alternate world in which the Nazis won World War II. And I, I remember everyone thinking, oh, okay, Every, we, we, people have done the what if the Nazis have won, you know, sci-fi story a lot of times, a lot of different mm-hmm. writers. This kind of was kind of striking because I think everyone tuned in expecting – 
the story of the American resistance and how, how things get fixed. And it was daring enough to kind of, you know, one, to offer a rather grim suggestion that most Americans would eventually acclimate to a Nazi-run government. Um, the idea that a lot of Americans would keep their heads down and, you know, there, there certainly would be a resistance, but that most Americans would just kind of go about their daily lives. I think a very frightening one, but one that probably uh, is more true than we'd like to admit. And then the second kind of observation of that was that um, – uh, by the end of it, uh, or the end of that, you know, infamous first of the infamous first season, the the audience is ex, is ex, asked to kind of root for Hitler himself because his generals are even more warmongering and are likely to start a nuclear war with Japan that will like destroy what's left of the world. And you want to talk about like a bold, daring, you know, we're going to make the root for Hitler. <laughs> wow. <laughs> how, how do you think that went in the first story meeting? Right. This right. Kind of, you know. Um, and they kind of pulled it off. I haven't watched the second season yet. I've heard people complaining that it's a little more formulaic. But um, I think one of the things that made Man in the High Castle such a uh, talked about show was the kind of willingness to um, kind of kind of make a dramatic leap uh, to kind of to go in, in unexpected directions of what could have been a, a fairly predictable, you know, uh, you know, genre story of heroic Americans, you know, b- battling evil Nazis. I think they did a, a great job of capturing an imagination of a, a great deal of people who probably don't consider themselves to be TV watchers. Mm, that's right. Yeah, they, they a lot of these – I think of Westworld falls into that same category. Mm. Um, very high-minded television, if you will. And in truth, I, you know, it seems to me that The Man in the High Castle is more entertaining Whereas Westworld, as we know, and you know, our listeners can go back and listen to me rant and rave about that. Another, you know, TV event of the year that that that, that quite, quite frankly, I think I missed it. <laughs> I mean, I saw it obviously. Yeah. I just don't think I got it. <laughs> well, do you know what it is? Is that I wonder if there, there's an argument of oh, Americans don't read anymore and and all this uh, uh, a, a kind of traditional complaint, but maybe an observation that that now the either the television series or the limited series is now the preferred long-form storytelling format for the creative class. That, that instead of, oh, have you read that hot book or something like that, that, that kind of it's become now, um, well, first of all, it's also become the, the world of 2016, 2017 is one where you need to know where your friends are in all of their series. Yes. Like, have, have, wait, have you, uh, what episode are you up to? Okay, no spoilers, you know. Every conversation begins yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. What episode are you on? You know, it, 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 on the one hand, it's greatly freeing to have on demand and streaming and be able to watch all 12 episodes uh, of a particular show if you want. But all of a sudden, now you can't talk. And you give, <laughs> up, you give up the collective experience that used to be part of the bonding of watching these types of shows. Because by the time everyone's caught up, the show's not, you know, <laughs> the show's been out for a couple months. <laughs> no one wants right. to Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, and that and the fact that, like, some people watch it the first weekend and some people haven't watched, you know, they have the option of waiting six months to watch it if they'd like. And again, I think it's, you know, I think that one of the things that's fantastic about um, the, the Stranger Things phenomenon, even Westworld, because people were watching it so much, and certainly the People versus O.J. Simpson, is that it reconnected people as we do with sporting events when Peyton Manning won the Super Bowl, um, when the Cubs won the World Series, when the Pens won the pennant, like, or the Stanley Cup. And these are the things that people have to watch in real time. So when you find a television show that requires people to watch in real time because they can't not be part of that experience to talk about it, 
the the true appointment television. Um, we have had some great experiences this year, but again, these limited series seem to be doing much better. Maybe that says something about our attention span. Maybe it says something about the quality of limited series we're seeing right now. Um, and I, I personally prefer it because it requires less commitment on my part. There's probably something to that. Um, you, you talk about sports, wa- watching sports this year. Uh, Mickey, my, my loan, one of the sadder parts of 2016 was the fact that the NFL season was canceled. Um, you because as far as, as I, Jets fan, you. Uh, um, I, the, the highlight is that my Steelers have somehow managed to pull out what started out as a horrendous looking season. I should rephrase and, that. There's no professional football uh, being offered <laughs> by the Jets this year. I, just well have been I think they're using scab players, using the other guy's uniform or something. This, yeah. is, the, you know, this is the best season I've had in forever. The Browns won a game. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You guys a game, and you might want to get on Sunday because we're sitting our players. <laughs> um, so I'm super excited that my Steelers won their division. We beat the Ravens. Um, that was fantastic. Yes, and uh, just an incredible season turned out of you know the chicken salad to chicken something or other. Um, <laughs> yes, out of something or other. So I think that that's what we did, and so I'm super excited to see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Uh, well, I'm glad you have something to look forward to in 2017, uh, uh, Mickey. I, I, but I noticed in our entire conversation of exciting things on television this year, we did not mention the Olympics once, um, despite the efforts of some swimmers to create some drama. Um, we will be right back after this because, you know, Mickey's looking ahead to 2017. I'm not quite ready to do that. I want to spend a little more time looking back on all the, things, into the member berries. all the things we member right after this. <laughs> you can feel uneasy about your bathroom. The best fresh ingredients are what make Betty Crocker potato dishes taste so good. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffle, the first all-new shortening in 40 years. It's rich. Its color is golden yellow. And what a pie it makes. Hey, hey! Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And long-time listeners will know that usually we close the program on what we call the Trivial Tuesday Contest. On Tuesdays, Mickey kind of puts out this question to the uh, entire Twitter world, kind of a, you know, uh, not just a trivia question, but kind of a things, your answer to kind of an open-ended question. And this week, um, Eric Alper, who is a host on SiriusXM, kind of beat us to the punch. He put out a really good question that just kind of flew all over Twitter uh, <laughs> Tuesday night and Wednesday night. It was a great deal. Without revealing, yeah, without revealing your actual age, what's something do you remember that if you told a younger person, they wouldn't understand? And man, oh man, you want to talk about a ton of questions and a, t- a ton of good answers and uh, answers that probably do reveal people's ages <laughs> or at least their generation. Um, but I felt a few uh, almost immediately, Mickey. But you know, if I put that question to you, what do you remember that your average, uh, either my boys or, or a millennial, just would have no idea what you're talking about? Uh, one of someone... one of my favorite answers that I saw to this, and and honestly, it was it was it was crazy. Um, people even started using the TJAMS hashtag on their answers, even though it wasn't our question. <laughs> um, apparently, they related it back to us, which made me feel good. It, it is the sort of thing we would ask. It right? is right. It, they it's did our sort... shtick better than we did. So. I know. It, so you know. So we're just you know going to talk about it then. Um, but no, it was fascinating, and maybe it is because we've all been into the memories. 
um, as my South Park fans will know. Um, but, you know, the nostalgia that hits us this time of year, I think, comes along with Christmas and the holidays and New Year's and Old Lang Syne and all of that. What was fascinating is how on point these answers were. And the very first one that I saw was very simple and be kind, rewind. Oh, perfect. Right? Because you know what that means. But if we have millennials that are listening, they have no idea what that means. And of course, that was the, that was the gospel that was handed down as like the 12th commandment um, from any video store. Or you'd have to pay, remember, a rewind fee. You were talking about, I mean, from around mid-1980s, video stores just suddenly sprung up and became kind of this icon of, you know, uh, every shopping mall and every downtown area. I remember having one back in Metuchen, New Jersey. And it was a big deal, right? They, they had that little, usually they had a back room for the adult stuff mm-hmm. and all the tapes out on display. And then eventually they all got taken over by Blockbuster Video. That was a big part of it. And then, psh, gone. Right, I mean, they were talking about a, a technology game called Blockbuster. Yeah, or on demand and, and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Mickey, I've noticed this in in certain films that I watch from uh, from my younger years. Do you notice how many films can't work today? Would not work in a world with cell phones. Oh, absolutely! Right? It's fascinating to me how many novels I've read recently that were set in the nineteen eighties. And early 1990s, just to clearly avoid cell phone technology as a way to mess up their plot. <laughs> I'm thinking about honeymoon in Vegas, where if at any point the two leads can call each other, the right. entire confusion is taking is resolved. I, and because I'm not a fan of that particular trope in movies and television Mm. where people just accidentally miss each other by like 30 seconds, and you know, oh no, and this I hate that. Like it's it's my least. It's the lowest form of entertainment to me. Um, so the fact that cell phones have kind of made that um, obsolete makes me happy. Um, having said that, it is fascinating to me how much more they're able to expand the story when there's misconnections. And now there's no excuse because if someone doesn't answer their cell phone now, you can assume they're missing or dead. I was going to say, I think somebody did a, uh, a kind of a clip reel of all the times in horror movies. Characters have had cell phones with no reception. Right. <laughs> and they, they put you in like 40 or 50 scenes in sequence. And you just see one character. I'm like, oh, my cell phone's got no reception. Oh, I've got no bars. You know. Well, um, one of the other things that popped into my head is, of course, that there were these things at one time called pay phones. Ah. Some even had their own booth. That's right. You know, do you have a quarter, right? You, you know, you well, you had to, have carry to wait online. Until and, the day came out where you, they had the calling card. Oh, God, 1-800-COLLECT and Carrot Top and a young Adam Carolla and all these guys. Back. That, that, I'm going to put pin one that right readers, 1993. Uh, one of our media readers and friends um, suggested that they weren't going to be able to get that 10 cents a minute song ever out of their head. <laughs> um, now, a lot of people I, – I, well, the first thing that came to my mind is I, I, I'm old enough to remember – Getting up and turning the television channel on the dial, right? You have to, you know, so don't touch mm-hmm. that dial. Kids today are like, what's a dial? I was my <laughs> dad's remote control as a kid. He'd just say, channel three, and I'd get up and go change it. There wasn't any choice yeah. in the matter. <laughs> Other folks said having a remote that had a wire attached, which at least be tougher to lose. Yes. There might be a benefit to actually having a remote with a wire attached. 
um, and I don't, I don't know if anyone mentioned it or not, but you know, debit cards used to be one non-existent. Yeah. Um, you had to go to a bank and cash a check to get money out if you had money in your bank account, or you remember there was the Mac machine yeah. <laughs> where you could go and get money out, but you still couldn't use it as a credit card. It wasn't until years later where they put the credit card symbol on it and you could actually use it. And now no one carries cash. I was going to say, Mac used to mean uh, the getting your money from the cash machine, not uh, not an Apple computer. Correct. Um, all right, here's a good one, Mickey. Bank tellers. Oh, Going yeah. Away. Well, I, I still see them in the drive-thru. Hey, but when's the last time you actually interacted with a bank teller? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Right? I mean, unless you, unless you need a loan. I was going to say, maybe when we got the loan on the house. You lost your card right. or something like that, but you, you suddenly have much less interaction with bank, uh, with bank personnel, which is uh, no offense to the fine, fine people in the banking industry, but I think everyone's kind of happier this way. Um, Trying to think of other. Let's see. Who else was? Uh, what kind of other questions? Well, the first thing that occurred to me, um, as far as technology goes, is I thought of CDs and ah. it skipped. Not cassette tapes. Uh, well, ne- uh, for whatever reason, I just <laughs> thought that music skipped versus getting stuck or frozen like it does now when you download mm. it. You know, you had to clean your CDs off and and put them back in. And yeah, with the cassette tape, um, of course, you know, you could hand. A millennial, a cassette tape, and a pencil, and see if they know what to do with it. Has anyone said phone booths yet? I've been all I over did. the world. There are phone booths everywhere that are like relics. They're like statues to the past. They stand there. Nobody ever goes in them. And I remember when I was a kid that I thought phone booths were like the coolest things ever. And now as an adult, because they are kind of like historic relics, I think they are again. All over England, they have that uh, red phone booth with the, the yeah. crown of the of the Majesty's telephone service on top, and you they have fantastic phone booths in Britain, and they're they're like places to pose for historical snapshots with great backgrounds <laughs> if you're a tourist. But you can't make a phone call because you don't have the coins in your pocket because all you got is credit cards. Well, like, <laughs> more importantly, you have a cell phone. That too, but it might not work in England. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Former NFL player Damian Woody answered this with a, a, a really good observation about how just we now live in a 24-7 world. Uh, around 2 a.m., your television broadcasting day stopped, and they might play the national anthem or something and then go to a test pattern mm-hmm. or static or something. And everyone's like, no, wait, you mean you, mean you turned off your television? He's like, no, <laughs> there was no television. There was nothing going on. That, that was it. <laughs> the 24-7 broadcasting days were yet to come. And I do remember when I was very little, the national anthem would play at the end, and then it would go all staticky and then test pattern. I worked on a TV floor crew back in those days. I was one of the guys that pressed the button to play the national anthem. 1979, (laughs) 1980. We still turned off the transmitter at midnight. I remember that. Oh, my God. I was an adult. I'm looking over over these responses, guys. I'm suddenly realizing, how many times did you have to put... um, paper with the margins that have little dots in it to slide into a um, uh, dot uh, matrix printer. printer. Oh, dot matrix. (laughs) That didn't last very long, but it was a pain in the butt. Do you guys remember carving copy sheets? Like you used to put them underneath things and you would carbon copy from one to the other. Bags of of, of printer toner. Yes. For people who had internships and that was your job and you all of a sudden find yourself inhaling God knows how many carcinogenic uh, <laughs> black junk under your fingernails. I always like the scented markers and they still make those. So I'm good. <laughs> you know, actually, question I was going to say, do, do high schoolers uh, handwrite reports anymore? 
I can't imagine that they do. In some schools, they don't even still teach I mean, In another 10 years, one of our answers will be handwriting. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Remember handwriting? No. One of the monkeys, the guy named Michael Nesmith, his mother got rich inventing whiteout. Does anyone use whiteout anymore? Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Liquid paper. Liquid I mean, paper. I'm sure, I'm sure there are still some documents, but most you can't even use something that has whiteout on it. I seem to remember, I want to say, this is like mid to late 90s. I don't know if it was a job application or there was some sort of official document in which you had to, uh, you had to type it. You, you, was a, you, know, it was a, you had to fill it out. You could not do it in handwriting. You had to do it on a typewriter. So right. one, you had to find a typewriter. By 1997 or so, that was... Uh, that was harder and harder to do. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing the thing. Which, oh, actually, all right, for you, ready for this? Dave, you, you probably even give us the sound of the modem connecting. <laughs> the, no, that horrible ash. 14-4 baud. <laughs> I remember 2400 baud. It's absolutely insane, right? Right. Well, how many institutions where you get either the business card or the letterhead or something like that, it provides you their web address, their phone number, and then their fax machine. And I'm sitting there thinking, how many faxes are they still getting today? They still use them. <laughs> they still use them in offices to exchange documents in a secure manner. I was going to say there are some documents that must be faxed and not emailed. Right. I was going to say, otherwise it feels like a technological appendix, right? It's, it's a, it, it kind of had a purpose. in many ways. You know, a lot of, a lot of the, the new software where they're making documents that you can legally send via email – um, eliminate the need for fax. But there are a lot of offices and industries that are not what I would consider tech forward that still use faxes to send orders and things, which is crazy talk. I remember early internet days when it would take like two hours to download a postage stamp size photograph. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now you get pages and pages of photographs and videos all instantaneously. And this and just happened really in about 20 years. Oh, it's amazing. Yes. If for any reason you do not get your photos, like in that bulk form in a really fast delivery, that's when the bitching begins because that's what we're all about here is first world problems. That took me, that took right. me three seconds longer than it should have. I demand to see the manager. <laughs> One last late 80s, early 90s major problem. I look back on you know, how I spent my allowance during those years. I'd say easily 40% of my free uh, – my, my disposable income went to AA batteries for my Walkman. Oh, nothing could burn through a battery like a Walkman could. And of course, you like enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. You're walking around. You got your headphones on. But I, I look back and maybe this is the, the fuzzy days of memory. I think my Walkman lasted like maybe 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, the, the batteries then, were always dying. And then the cassette would play a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want your sex. <laughs> George Michael became a baritone. It's, it's this bizarre, menacing tone. <laughs> right. Darth Vader, James Earl Jones' greatest hit. <laughs> well, you know, again, I, it's fun to dip into the member berries every once in a while. And the nostalgia that was brought about by this particular tweet was one that seemed to really get everyone at just the right spot this week. And again, I think it has something to do with the time of year and where we are and both politically and socially. And of course, you know, we're in our end of year wrap even here at T-Jams. So coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about the movies of this year. Some things that we have to look forward to in 2017, um, because not all of 2016 was horrible, but shh, don't tell anybody. We'll be right back. I'm sure a lot of people think this is just some radio shtick. 
Introducing Popeye's all-new comic strip glasses. Yours to keep when you buy a 69-cent soft drink. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm Mickey White, and we're coming to the end of the year 2016. And in all of my years on this planet, I'm not certain that I've ever seen an entire population turn on a year <laughs> like they have 2016. And while 2016 has had some significantly bad moments, and you know, we talked about a lot of them earlier in the show with a lot of deaths and the ends of our favorite shows and things that we didn't like to have happen to our favorite characters. And yet there were still some really bright spots in 2016 and, and much like the rest of the country, I'm looking forward to 2017. I can't wait to put this year behind us. And, you know, Jim, it it was a big year for Star Wars fans. And we talked about the, you know, Rogue One, you actually, we talked about it before you had the opportunity to see it. And we talked about some of the other big hits for Disney this year. And we've got a lot to look forward to as the franchises move forward into 2017, not just with our Star Wars characters, mm-hmm. but with the Avengers and with some of our other favorites out of Hollywood. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, it's one of those things where I go back and forth. Uh, I, by the way, for those who wondered, I, <clears throat> I found Rogue One to be probably the most mixed bag Star Wars movie so far. Um, there were certain parts that I really felt were uh, felt a little off and and kind of a moral discussion in the middle of the film that I just felt was like completely uncharacteristic of the series. Uh, but it had a really fantastic ending and you come out of the, the theater feeling good. So, so what about uh, the people that say that it was the best Star Wars movie ever? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the lesson of that would be that if, you're, if your climax is spectacular enough, and I'm talking in films here, although perhaps uh, it applies to other places. <laughs> um, if your climax is spectacular enough, people walk away de- intensely satisfied uh, and are willing to forgive everything that came beforehand. That and is I'm absolutely totally true. About and everyone that, maybe that uh, came beforehand. Yeah. <clears throat> maybe it applies to a lot of things in life. Um, <laughs> I, I, as I'm thinking about the films that I look forward to, in 2017, look, you know, we, we've discussed in this uh, program, I, I like Star Wars films, I like superheroes, uh, collected comics in my uh, pre, well, adolescent and uh, not popular with girls years. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of good ones seem to be coming down the pike. Logan, which looks like the last time Hugh Jackman's going to play Wolverine, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, Thor, Justice League. Uh, I know my boys are just bonkers about Lego Batman. Um, the question I can't is, wait to see point, Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's not even like my type of movie. I guess my my one kind of one is at some point does the market get oversaturated, or at some point do you end up with something that's just like okay, we didn't really need that. And some might argue we've already had that with uh, Superman versus Batman. Um, I look forward to Wonder Woman being the best part of that film, <laughs> kind of like a oh, hey, here's yeah. Two over. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the other thing that you run into is that some of them will rise to the top. Like everyone's really excited about Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Um, and it needs to live up to our expectations to then make us excited about part three. But if it does, then we'll be anticipating that. Whereas like some of these new Superman movies and Wonder Woman movies, people are already looking at with a certain side eye because we've already been let down by the predecessors. Yeah, well, I think one of the... Um one of the delightful developments, not just of, of this year, but I'd say of, of the past couple of years, is Chris Pratt's uh, emergence as kind of the new go-to uh, action hero lead 
full of uh, arguably the new uh, Harrison Ford, the kind of guy who's you relate to, you I'm like him, he's funny, he's charming. Away here, he's okay. not the new Harrison Ford. Um, maybe well, the new Michael Keaton for a time period. Okay. All right. I loved him in the Jurassic Park uh, follow-up, Jurassic World. I thought he did a great job as the good-looking action hero in that. But see, that's I, just it. I don't see. I still see him as kind of like the goofy, strong lead, not necessarily like the the silent, strong type, like a Harrison Ford. And and why would I like goofy leads, huh? Um, okay, obviously, there's a reason you have a crush on him. I'm not. No, I, I think, I, think I relate more to the goofy lead than to the uh, the Clint Eastwood. I like him a lot. I just would put him in the same category as Harrison Ford. I he's more like a Ryan Reynolds, but not as hot. Uh, okay, while we're looking at that, Deadpool, perhaps arguably, you know. Ex- Made a bazillion dollars uh, and maybe also kind of broke the mold on what you had to do with the superhero movie. Uh, that it could be a little off color. It's also very uh, true to the character, it's my understanding. Yes. Uh, that's, you know, well, that's, we're, we're now comfortable with uh, superheroes that are, they could break out of the, you know, uh, irony considering the past year uh, Superman and Batman, right? You, you basically had your either uh, upstanding, square jawed, all American image, or you had. Uh, the the you know the Dark Avenger of the Night, which kind of got you know. I loved Ant Man and whatever that category falls into. I thought that was great. He's way and better than Chris hero. Pratt as the goofy hero. Yeah, the Ant Man guy, Paul Rudd, is fabulous. Absolutely, like kind of in that same uh, that same theme. I really like that. I was gonna say there's a um, I know, there, there's one of the more delightful developments in in. Uh, uh, we had talked a couple episodes ago about creative types who want to experiment when J.K. Rowling decides to write grown-up dramas. <clears throat> They're not always going to succeed. Uh, a lot of times it's going to feel like somebody's you know, getting out of their lane when they, when they shouldn't. But I, I, you know, I, I feel like by, you know, by having more options, by having our, our creative class experiment more, we're more likely to get those hits that you absolutely, totally love um, and that you, you think you just uh, – uh, it's it's just you know lightning in a bottle. It's just magic about as good as pop culture can get. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe we'll get some more of that in 2017. As I glance towards Showtime's reboot or re- reinvigoration of Twin Peaks with equal parts excitement and trepidation. <laughs> <laughs> Way more excitement, folks. He's lying to you. Way more excitement. Yeah, exactly. No, if they mess it up, Dave, it's, it's the end he's of the world. excited. If, if they mess it up, then nobody's ever going to understand why the 1990 1991 series was great. Um, there, I, I, I'm, Twin Peaks fans will be even more isolated and ostracized, and even more of an oppressed minority. Uh, no one the, will get us. We'll be everybody. We're totally weird. The you know? benefit they will have is you are here to explain to them why the 1991 series was great, and, back- and that's why when it debuts, Mickey and I will be hosting a special seven-hour edition of this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> in which Mickey says mostly, "Uh huh, keep going." And, uh, <laughs> I see, Jim. Really? Tell me more. What was in the coffee? That's fantastic. <laughs> I'll be listening to the whiny, soft, dull music background. <laughs> the worst show theme ever in the history of show themes. <laughs> Dave, we can't do this show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get myself fired. I Unfollowed. <laughs> Don't account. worry, Dave. I got this under control. Okay, babe. Jim I'm counting on you. <laughs> All right. Well, very well. In addition to our our special, uh, our kind of our bonus Trivial Tuesday contest, we had an actual Trivial Tuesday contest, and we'll be discussing the results of that right after this. 
counted down in Las Vegas. You can hear them in the background. Coming up in less than 10 seconds now. The confetti is going. The balloons are up. Six, five, four, three. Happy 1998! It's snowing in New York, but it's snowing confetti. Back to the Jim and Mickey show. Producer Dave here got a drone for Christmas, and I want to warn you guys who got one and haven't taken it out of the box yet. If you fly it, you will attract bees. They think it's an angry, fierce insect predator. <laughs> and now mine, the bees fly suicidally into the propellers, and it's got bee guts all over it. <laughs> it's, I wonder if it's the pitch of the buzz. It's something like a about it. wavelength or frequency. It are draws them. Is it like, are they trying to mate with it? No, or they're they trying, trying to, to kill it? it. There's too many of them. They're trying to kill it, and all it's doing is throwing bee guts. Out. It's like if you stand under the drone, you get showered in bee guts. <laughs> that happens in, in South it. Texas anyway. I don't know about the rest of the country, but beware bee guts flying from your drone propellers. That's all I'm saying. Okay, back to you guys. You have a remarkable idea for an exterminator business. <laughs> That's right. Draw yeah. them and kill them. <laughs> help me get rid of your – I'll help you get rid of your bees in the most entertaining possible way. I want to fly it's it up like next to a hive and see what happens. Now that we have offered that news you can use uh, for all drone enthusiasts out there. <laughs> Um, it is, you know, we're coming towards the end of our program. Mickey had a, had a really open-ended and fascinating uh, question for our listeners this week. What is the most memorable event of 2016? And um, we kind of we, we tossed out the election. I think that's just, you know, too too divisive and angry and and you know, passion stirring a topic. And this is a mostly pop culture show. Um, Mickey, you said there was a pretty clear consensus, right? Yes, that by far the number one answer on the board was the Cubbies winning the World Series and a good breaking happy story. the curse. A good happy story unless you're a Cleveland Indians fan. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I think that, you know, obviously Indians fans would never admit it, but they would have to admit that that is a big story. And it's one that supersedes sports to something that everyone kind of got invested and involved in. So that was a big one. Um, the Olympics came up quite a bit from Simone Biles to Ryan Lochte. <laughs> um, and, and even a few mentions of Michael Phelps. So watching the Olympics was something that people will remember this year. We have actually some new fathers in our listenership and in our fan base. Um, so we've got some first-time fathers coming up with Trent and Tyler. And so they mentioned that as well. And uh, and I thought those were some you know pretty memorable moments. I suspect when they found out they were going to be dads for the first time. An excellent selection there. You know, I I, I want to end uh, uh, this podcast and this year on certainly one of the more unexpected and uh, in some part a very bittersweet uh, conclusion to the year. Uh, some folks who read the Morning Jolt or may have seen me on Twitter note that uh, Cindy Stoll, who became this. Um, legendary Jeopardy contestant, uh, was a very good friend of my wife's, grew up, they went to high school together, um, and uh, was with friends with us for years, was uh, one of the, the bridesmaids at our wedding, and um, she died before her episode of Jeopardy uh, aired. Cindy was uh, battling cancer, uh, had tried to be on Jeopardy lots of times, she had exactly the kind of mind for it, she was brilliant. Uh, constantly knowing all kinds of trivia that some people would consider to be useless <laughs> and that she just seemed to absorb like a sponge. 
And she wrote to the producers and said, uh, well, I've just been diagnosed with uh, cancer at stage four. They tell me I have six months to live. So either I get on Jeopardy this time or there is no next time. And the producers uh, decided to have her on. Um, now, a lot of listeners out there probably heard the coverage that began once she passed away. And then you know, Jeopardy issued a statement, uh, put out her photo. And I got to tell you, Mickey, as I'm sure you know, one, it sucks when you lose somebody who's, uh, who's a friend. Two, it suck, particularly sucks when they're your age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 41 years is way, way too short a lifespan on this earth. Uh, and then the third one, which was kind of this, this surreal, it was very surreal to see this, you know, my wife and I are going through this personal sadness and suddenly it turns into this national story that just blew up all over social media. Um, and that first, those first, you know, day of coverage, you know, everybody, I watched every media entity on the planet, it seemed, rewrite the same story. Mm-hmm. She was always wanted to be on Jeopardy. She was on, and now she's dead. Uh, isn't that sad? And I kind of felt like it was kind of flattening her. Um, much to our surprise, because she and Jason didn't tell anyone, Jason, her longtime boyfriend, mm-hmm. Cindy wasn't just on Jeopardy. <clears throat> she went on to win for like six straight nights. Yes, she while, did. While battling stage four cancer, being loaded up with painkillers, and I think she had a high fever from something that turned out to be a blood infection. You know, certainly, Jeopardy is hard when you're at peak health. Right. <laughs> to be in that circumstance and then go out and just win night after night, um, it, it was really remarkable and bizarre to see somebody we know turn into this, you know, quasi-legendary figure. Um, and in a way, I'm not going to say it, uh, uh, it makes her passing easy to take, but it does make it a little bit um, uh, special that the entire world got to see why she was so special and why she was so extraordinary. So... Um, that's undoubtedly what I'm going to remember 2016 for. And, uh, it's, well, I think that I can speak from all of the people who followed this story and both in the morning jolt and then through the jeopardy episodes and then the coverage itself. I want to thank you and, and Mrs. campaign spot and all of her friends and family for sharing Cindy with us. She seems like she was a remarkable person. And while we can only see an outline of her life through what she's broken through in pop culture. We know based solely on the impact that she had on the people that she met, that she was someone who lived those 41 years. Well, well thank you, Mickey. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it's going to say, if you have to lose somebody, this is, you know, watching them go out as a legend is, you know, makes it a little bit easier to take. So anyway, sorry to bring everybody down for otherwise a fun episode. Happy <laughs> year, everybody. I, I think that I think that it was important for you to share the story of Cindy and the wrap up with it as well, because we had heard the beginning, but not necessarily knew the end. And so thank you on behalf of your readers and our listeners and uh, and from us as well. And I know it's not easy to talk about these things, but it's part of what we do here at Tea Jams as we share our lives with our listeners. And uh, we do that every single week. You can find us at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spreaker. You can check us out on Facebook. We encourage you to go to the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show and uh, give us a like and hang out there. You can also follow us on Twitter at 
Jim and Mickey, and uh, we have once again come to the end of an hour that goes by entirely too quickly, but we do want to wish you the very happiest of New Year's. We're looking forward to some great things in 2017 for the T-Jams program, and uh, we can't wait to share all the great news with you in the coming year. So from all of us to all of you, Happy New Year, and we will see you in 2017. Make my way back.